You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Episode 89, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is Dr. Brad Youngren. Dr. Youngren is the chief medical officer of 98.6, which is a virtual text-based primary care service that is now available in all 50 states. It's yet another example of innovative ways people are delivering care within the framework of our relatively confusing healthcare system. It's a great discussion. I think you'll find it really interesting, as I did, especially in relation to what's going on now with COVID and how telehealth is taking a much more prominent role in healthcare, both in regular practices and ones that obviously have been introducing this for a lot longer, such as 98.6. This is a model that you can see primary care docs find interesting, but also one thing we'll discuss in the show is really the enthusiasm that he's had with physicians coming over to his process and not really wanting to go back to a brick-and-mortar practice, partly because of the flexibility, but also the way their technology interacts with patients and is actually used in a useful manner, as opposed to most EMRs, which are frustrating and uh, not very user-friendly for either the physician or the patient, of course. In other news, you can find me at the Top 20 Physicians Podcast site at blog.feedspot.com slash physicianspodcast. And lucky for you, that link will be included at the show notes page at theparadox.com slash 089. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S. There you can find not only links to that Top Physicians Podcast links, but also links for things we talk about in the show, previous episodes. And if you go to the blog, you can get access to all the episodes for The Paradox, and I would suggest you search the titles, find some you enjoy, take a listen to them, and if you like them, share them with your friends and family and continue spreading the word about the show. The growth and success of the show is entirely dependent on you, and it has been a real joy to do the show and all the things I've learned. I hope that you've had an opportunity to learn as much as I have about different ways people are doing things, problems we have, people finding solutions, and just general discussions about things in medicine. 
I would also encourage you, if you have any questions, show ideas, to contact me at theparadoxshow at protonmail.com. You can also find a link for that on, of course, the website at theparadox.com. I appreciate all those ideas. Those are where I get a lot of ideas for the show and really add to the rich diversity of show topics we have for The Paradox. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Brad Youngren, an emergency medicine physician in Seattle, Washington, who's also the chief medical officer at 98.6, a text-based virtual primary care service. Enjoy. So hey, everybody. I'm here with Dr. Brad Youngren. He's the chief medical officer of 98.6, and he's working in telehealth. And so I wanted to bring him on because we focus a lot of times in this show on various ways of delivering medical care and things that are going on in the medical system. And this is certainly, especially with COVID going on, this is definitely a time to start talking about something like this. So Dr. Younger, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Can you tell me a little bit about what 98.6 is? I mean, outside of being a normal temperature? <laughs> yeah, so um, 98.6 is a virtual primary care company. Uh, our general sort of North Star is that we believe that no one in the world should have to make a financial trade-off to receive primary care medicine. Um, and we deliver a text-based uh, uh, text-based app experience. Uh, we do have video and phone capabilities built into the software, but it's text forward. And, uh, and then patients basically have an opportunity to interact through our AI neural network platform. So they come into the clinic, they um, first interact with um, our automated assistant who starts gathering findings, and then the physician comes in and finishes the visits. Um, we're, op we're operating in all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. We're 24-7 service. We're essentially on-demand primary care. Uh, literally within seconds, typically, you'll be talking to a physician. Uh, we use our own board-certified physicians, and we deliver care to adults. And then certain populations, like with our employer market, where we can verify age, we deliver pediatric care ages one and up as well. Okay. And so, uh, you know, obviously, this is a thing that you couldn't have done I don't know, 15, 20 years ago with the new capabilities that Everett has, smartphones and text capabilities. So it's a different way of delivering care, obviously. Are your contracts primarily with individuals? Do you find, or is this something that employers sign up for their you know, employees? How exactly do you sort of deliver the care and sort of structure your, your service? Yeah, in the early days, we actually started with a, just a direct consumer offering to understand how the product was working and how people felt about it. Um, we then really launched into the employer market, thinking we'd spend a few years there focused on the employers, but we rapidly moved into health plans. Um, our, our, you know, our pillars are really around cost, quality, access, and system integration, and that resonates really well with the health plans. So we've been working um, in a variety of capacity with health plans to deliver virtual primary care. Uh, we also work with Sam's Club on a subscription buy-up program through Sam's Club. Okay. Uh, we have a, a vertical where we actually um, work with universities to provide the service to university students. And then we also have been working with health systems most recently to sort of really displace traditional analog telemedicine options, which have had mixed success on, in terms of patient satisfaction and replace it with virtual primary care. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it very interesting, you know, whenever I see AI, I never really know what that means because it can mean all sorts of different things, right? When you add artificial intelligence and it sounds like uh, at least your service, you have a lot of that initial sort of gathering information from patients. Uh, is, and this is one where actually the physician sees, because I feel like a lot of times when I go in an AI system and say, 
I call the cable company. I end up giving the exact same information again to the person when I talk to them live. And so it, it, I've actually gained nothing by giving my account number and all those sorts of things. You know, it feels like you've, you're doing things twice. How did you, how do you set this system up so it actually is, I guess, more helpful and, and efficient for both the patient and the physician? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're, a, we, we're a virtual primary care company. We deliver care. We're um, a technology company at our core, right? We have a very large team of data scientists on hand. Um, Rob Sweetser is our chief product officer. He spent many years running Amazon Prime. Um, so he comes with lots of understanding of consumer subscription behavior, especially on mobile. Um, and so we can really marry those experiences and expertise to deliver Kind of what you said, which is it's about the delivery of care, but it's also about the patient experience through that delivery. One of the things that is really unique about 90.6 is our entire platform is homegrown. From the beginning, we made the investment in building an AI platform that not only interacts with patients, but interacts with physicians. Um, it's not a symptom checker that um, that essentially delivers a, a list of possible diagnoses. There, there are certainly those in the market, but we're actually interested in building a technology platform that assists in the, in the practice of medicine. And so from the beginning, our perspective and approach has been fundamentally different than most others. Um, there's obviously a longer road with that, a deeper investment that has to come from the, from the perspective of understanding physician decision-making or uh, whatever uh, sort of area of AI you would want to talk about. Um, it's really not just about the patient experience as it relates to AI. It's also about the physician experience. We honestly weigh those equally. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we talk about on the show is the, the frustration physicians have, especially interacting with technology, you know, with the, when it comes to either in the office or in the hospital, the, the computer, the computer aspect of things oftentimes gets in the way of the care of the patient. You're staring at a screen. You're not really, you're not really, you know, provi providing or getting that sort of interaction and that rapport and that relationship with a patient that you normally would, you know, in a off normal office setting with a piece of paper. And that's always, uh, and, and that you find you're spending a lot of time in technology that is not helpful and you're just, you know, filling boxes and things like that. So no, I, I was just going to say, you know, as an emergency physician by background, I remember when an article came out a couple of years ago that described, you know, if you text the, the um, labs to the emergency physician, it changes their workflow in the ER. And it's like, well, of course it does. Like <laughs> we, you know, physicians welcome technology technology that's actually built to make their lives easier. And that's kind of what I was alluding to, which is, you know, we look at, just like we would look at a net promoter score or um, tools that we evaluate the, the patient experience, we have our own physician experience metrics that we look at. Um, and and we, we care deeply about those because we want we want the physicians to feel like they can be heard. Um, and it, it gets into where I think you were going, which is that the physicians, by being members of 98.6, uh, in a fully employed members of 90, all around. we give them all of time to activities, all of them. And because we want them doing a, a large volume of peer-to-peer -peer chart review, because we're pushing the margins of what virtual care is. And we also want them to participate in building the AI, um, recruiting, whatever other aspects. And they love that. So they're not a locum tenens physician working for 10 companies. They're 98.6 and 90 .6 employees with benefits, uh, you know, equity in the company and a, most importantly, a say in what we're building. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the problem, right? Is you, you have to try and get technology that actually is helpful. The reason people text is not because people say we need to text. It's because it's helpful. You know, it's easy to send information without getting on the phone and getting someone to answer the phone and things like that. I remember when I first thought of texting with my wife, I thought there's, what's the point? Why would I want to text that 
It doesn't make any sense until you're out and you realize, I just need to ask, do I need to get eggs when I'm at the store or something like that, where you don't actually need to have a whole long phone conversation and suddenly texting becomes very, you know, helpful. Um, when you, with your employees, uh, I mean, they're all physicians, it looks like, and you've got a fairly large crew. You mentioned before we came on that you actually work in the, you actually do shifts with real people. I mean, I shouldn't say that. That's the wrong way to put it, but with people who are physically in front of you as opposed to virtually, virtually, um, do most of your physicians, do they work both through 986 and then also in a sort of physical presence as well? No, the, va- the vast majority of them actually just work full-time for us. have left brick-and-mortar practice. Um, what's interesting about it, you know, and we've been seeing patients since 2017 uh, actively in our clinic, um, is you know, obviously we were curious and, and look closely at what are the, what's the physician satisfaction around the care delivery mechanism. And generally speaking, they're getting time to, to actually connect with patients and they're not worrying as much about documentation or gathering findings because the AI is and the technology is assisting them in it. So they're actually connecting and doing what they love, which is diagnosing and treating. The other interesting thing that we, I, I honestly didn't really anticipate what we've seen is we've built a community that the physicians spend so much time helping each other out. Even if they're not on shift, they'll be in the clinic virtually, you know, and people will be asking advice about cases or, and, and you know, what, what I've heard from primary care docs is, you know, when they get segmented into a part of a brick and mortar clinic, they can really go a full day without actually talking to other physicians. Sure. Um, yeah. Right. And so they really lost that, yeah, that collegial nature of, of the practice of medicine, which we all love. And so there's this other feature, which is we've really brought that back for them and given them space to, you know, not only build the practice together, but then just talk about what's going on on a day-to-day basis, which they really love. One of the things that, I mean, obviously the, I'm guessing one of the major complaints you get with any sort of virtual care is that it's actually not, physical care. It's not in the same room. You can't, the, from a physical diagnosis or physical examination, obviously it's much more, you know, it's hard to do. Although probably you could argue most primary care doesn't require much of a physical examination. That's obviously one criticism of this, this sort of care. Continuity. I mean, how do you sort of take care of things with, you know, you're not seeing a new person every time, uh, you know, a new physician for instance, and so that you have to kind of rego go through your history every single time you have to go and have a visit. Well, our, to, to commit to an on-demand 24-7 service, you're obviously, you, you, there's no way you could really ensure that the patient sees the same physician ever twice, right? Like it's actually just right. literally impossible. Sometimes we do, we have a bunch of AI that works on, you know, how patients are assigned to doctors. And um, sometimes we'll select and connect doctors to patients because they've seen them before or whatever the case may be. But what, what, we've, what we've learned is, and this has been uh, shown in other parts of the technology world is patients can develop a relationship with technology and we want them to develop a relationship with 98.6, like a trusted relationship for the delivery of virtual primary care with 98.6. And what you're highlighting is a really key feature, which is you have to invest in building the technology that allows for the continuity of care, regardless if it's the same physician twice. So you can build technology and you can build AI systems, which actually assist in, um, in making it so that you don't have to do that every time, right? Mm-hmm. That you don't have to regurgitate the past medical history every time. Um, and then that really frees up the physicians to connect with the patients on the issues they have. So in some sense, to to, an on de- to, to really serve up an on-demand service to patients, you're gonna have to make some trade-offs there. You can't guarantee you'll say the same, see the same patient every time, which is not feasible, but they get a lot of other things. And, and then we invest in a, creating a, con- a, a platform that really facilitates the continuity of care, 
even if it isn't the right doctor and that requires a bunch of work. So, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm with the, we're in the midst of the COVID pandemic, which it looks like it's going to be with us for quite some time. I know my wife, I mentioned earlier too, she was a pediatrician. So they have, like I think many primary care practices, if they hadn't before, they have now implemented telehealth or some sort of, you know, remote access for their patients. Have you noticed a big change in, uh, you know, demand for your service now that we're sort of moving more to less face-to-face time and traveling and restrictions and those sorts of things? Yeah. And we, we've certainly seen when COVID hit, we saw, you know, a month on month, at least two to 300% increase in volume. And we certainly, um, had a lot of new employers come on who really wanted to have a virtual care service on their, you know, for their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to hire a bunch of doctors to sort of surge for the volume capacity again, to, to truly keep the services and on demand. We had to hire a bunch of physicians. Turns out a lot of physicians were not working at the time because of the work and more experience. <laughs> right, yeah. We've actually been transitioning a number of those physicians to full time at 98.6 who don't actually want to go back now. Um, based on the experience they've had working with us, which is interesting. Um, so there's this whole surge capacity. We actually, my background, as I mentioned to you offline, was around, you know, as an emergency physician involved in pandemic response and global, global medicine, uh, global healthcare. And so we'd actually build out a surge plan back in December with sort of the what if scenario, what if we have to increase in volume? Yeah. The good news about owning your own physician, you know, having your own physician practice is you understand what their surge capacity is if you have a bunch of locum tenens physicians who work for 10 telemedicine companies and have a brick and mortar practice, you can, not, not everyone can count those doctors for right. surge. Yeah. Right. Um, so that we, we had a capacity to actually, when we talked to national leaders, could we have relationships with HHS and, uh, around influenza pandemic surveillance? Um, because we, we understand our surge capacity from a technology perspective and also from a physician perspective, because there are doctors. The other interesting thing was when the pandemic hit in January, Uh, We actually changed our AI to make sure it was consistent with CDC guidelines around travel history. And so we actually had a couple of patients we referred even as early as January from the service to the CDC based on travel criteria, which were the predominant feature back then for U.S.-based patients. Um, And then obviously when when, uh, COVID-19 was discovered at Evergreen Health in Kirkland, Washington, here in Seattle, everything changed. And we, we quickly created a COVID assessment tool, which could lead to a visit. Um, and that's where we've been focused on that. And, you know, care coordination and lab has been a big focus of ours to deliver lab, um, both on the PCR side, as well as the antibody IgG antibody side to our patients and our employers and our health plans. Is that kind of hard for your company? Because, you know, every state's different and you're dealing with patients, like you said, all over the country. Do you find it complicated to try and figure out what the, you know, the resources are in one state versus another and getting people to labs effectively? Because... Well, you're not physically present in those areas. Great question. I mean, we've been ordering labs from the beginning. Back in 2017, uh, we have a really close relationship with Quest Diagnostics. We work with LabCorp and others. But like we started ordering labs back then at scale. In other words, our primary care docs were practicing primary care medicine. They felt a chemistry was necessary before starting hypertension medications. They would do it. Mm-hmm. That forced us to build technology that allowed us to order labs at a national scale to know you know, what, what options are available to a patient in cities across the country and, and build an intelligent network for uh, ordering labs, receiving labs back at 98.6, and then bringing patients back in to discuss those results, essentially virtualizing that entire loop. Um, I think, you, I mean, I would say that there are many kinds of visits I don't believe need a 
in-person brick and mortar visit. And an example would be, do you really need to go in to talk to a doctor to get your lipid panel drawn if you want to? I think that could be a fully virtualized example. And there are many like that. Uh, the, and so when you have a back end of, of lab ordering and intelligence around lab ordering, it really helps virtualize care. Sure. And I imagine the same thing goes for medications, right? For writing prescriptions. Uh, there are obviously national chains that you can probably have to get relationships with like Walgreens or CVS, but mm-hmm. it is the same sort of thing for, for calling prescriptions. And, and then also, I guess on, along those lines, would, is there an issue with calling pain medicines? Because that's always, you know, a sticking point oftentimes with lots of different state laws. Yeah. we. So one thing we've done is the product, we don't rely on the physicians to remember what state the patient's in necessarily and what the legal and regulatory environment it's, it's built into the product which is when we marched out from one state to 50, we had to essentially uh, create a product that could respond to the different environments of those states. We don't order scheduled drugs. We've taken different approaches with things like pain, like offering high behavioral therapy options and things of that nature, or in-person referrals when it's necessary, obviously. Um, we, you know, we'll refer patients in for, for in-person care when they think we need, when they need a, an in-person visit. And one of those would be if they really need to get a pain uh, medicine physician or see a brick and mortar subspecialist to get primary, you know, to get pain medicines ordered, we'll refer them on. Sure. How, how do you work the referral process? Because, you know, obviously if somebody's seen ENT or, you know, general surgeon or something like that, or a specialist, I mean, how do you, how do you work the referrals when, you know, you're in Houston, your doc's in Houston and someone's in say Portland, Maine? Yeah, it's uh, under the medical team. It's one of the largest growing areas I'd say under like, and as far as verticals under me, and it's for the reasons you would imagine, which is care coordination is a big piece of, of how primary care interacts with the rest of the ecosystem. The great thing is we can build technology that interfaces with that um, for downstream referrals, getting patients access to cardiology. We actually started with the most complicated thing, which was when we opened the, opened the virtual clinic, we were doing just direct consumer patients. And many of those patients were coming out of the service and didn't have access to Help, you know, an insurance plan. And so we're, we're at the back then we were a relatively smaller company in Seattle trying to figure out how to care coordinate a, a patient in Des Moines or something like that. And so the care coordination team really earned, learned a lot from those early experiences, how we can advocate for patients. We're obviously patients of our center. We advocate for them any way we can and getting them the referrals they need is part of that advocacy. So um, when they have access to a health plan, it's obviously easier to plug into that technology and get them the downstream uh, referrals they need. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, you have docs who sort of picked up this kind of like a, because they weren't busy. <laughs> and I could speak for experience that I was not, I worked, I think, five days in April. And I know there are lots of primary care practices that close or specialist clinics. And so, you know, when you're looking for work, you're you certainly had offerings. And then they decide to stay on. What, what do you think is the appeal for this process? Because, you know, one of the the number one satisfier for physicians is uh, the relationship with patients. And so it's obviously a little different with this sort of platform than it would be with, you know, your own practice. So what do you think the, the appeal is for these docs to want to stick around with a virtual clinic? Yeah, I think it's, it comes down to the relationship with interaction with patients is still rewarding to them in our clinic. They're helping out a tremendous number of patients, um, advocating for them, uh, around cost, quality, and access on a day-to-day basis and delivering primary care medicine. We've sort of, what I mentioned earlier, this notion around increasing the connectivity, not only amongst themselves as a physician group, but with the organization at large, has tremendous value for them. And then the third piece is 
the physicians are participating and deciding what the prioritization list is for technology. And that's really unique. They don't get the, a voice. I mean, if you think about how life is like for a physician in a brick and mortar health system, um, you basically get that you get the EMR that's you're not the customer as the physician. Right. I guess the yeah. core piece is you're not the customer, right? That if I want to change in how I interact with my EMR and brick and mortar, I can go talk to the CIO or CMIO. But generally speaking, um, you know, those you don't really have access to impacting change where like our physicians are feeding daily information back to the product team on features they'd love to see. Hey, I love I in this example, I didn't, you know, I would have loved to see this different. And so that capacity to participate is is uh, I don't is really valuable to them. So I think those three areas um, we've been able to work on um, patient physician relation, pa- physician physician relation, physician relation with the company at large to include product development are key features of what life is like for a physician at 90.6, which is which is really interesting. Like we we literally usually have um, 150 plus doctors on the front end of the pipeline. Um, which, so it's really not been a problem for us finding physicians who are interested in coming on board, which has been, uh, you know, I didn't really know what, what it would be like from that perspective, but, um, so that just gives me a signal that we're, we're really doing it differently and, um, addressing physicians need, which is impacting physicians. It's interesting coming on board. Yeah. I mean, that's, you definitely see that when anyone in the hospital that the, you're right, the physicians, I, I don't want to say they're not valued at all within large institutions, but it feels like they're they're not at least um, their input is not really valued in the sense that uh, you know the, there's and there's no even if it was valued there's no way to actually change these things because most of these EMR products are so gigantic you know it's we're talking about you know Epic which is I don't know how many billions of dollars it is but to get actual changes it's it's very it's very difficult you know to actually get feedback to someone. You know, I looking through your, and I don't know if those are all your providers and all those physicians who work in your company, but they were they were majority almost almost entirely all women. Do, what do you think the appeal is for women for this uh, this sort of this sort of practice that that you're attracting so many? Well, I mean, we're I mean, I think just at high level, our mission is around cost, quality, and access. So we're we're diving headfirst into healthcare inequity. Um, mm-hmm. Just even that your question aside, I think just as highlighted, obviously with uh, Black Lives Matter and and, so, and all that's going on in the United States is certainly front and center. But we have, to answer your question directly, um, I think that um, we offer a, a practice for that allows some flexibility on time. Yeah, um, our doctors right. are they're sort of writing a bit of a script on what the I mean, I always describe to them, like, it's your medical group. What do you want to do? Like, yeah. you know, it's like when they ask me something, I turn it back on them, which is it's your medical group. How long do you want the shifts to be? Do you want it to be four hours? Do you want to do, you know, should they be eight hours? Should they be two hours? Like what, what impacts your quality of life in the way? And, and so some doctors like four hour blocks, some doctors like eight hour blocks and they actually can customize that to make for whatever their outside world is. And that flexibility is valuable, not just for women, for really everyone, but um, we certainly have had uh, one of our early physicians, um, has been involved in like women physician, uh, Facebook group. She was deeply involved. I forgot the exact name of it, but, and so her mm-hmm. being involved with that group on Facebook was just, she was just talking about how much she loved working for us. And she, <laughs> she literally probably bought, brought in 20 physicians just from those conversations. Like 
she she's um, so part of her time. She really spends working with the talent team on our processes around that, um, and we and that's part of her administrative task, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, without a doubt. It's more challenging to be a woman being a professional in society, and so your responsibilities are different with the families and obviously flexibility is a higher priority. I mean, I see that within anesthesia practice as well. And, and there's definitely, so I can definitely see the fact that, you know, you can, if you can change your shift times or hours and almost like a gig, gig economy, right? I mean, you sort of have like a, you sort of work when you're ready in some ways, not quite uh, surge demand like a, a Uber, but in some ways it's probably kind of similar to that, right? Cause you don't have to have someone, you know, make sure you have a receptionist there at the door. Cause you've sort of always do. You just have to make sure that all your time is covered. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's truly their practice to run, you know, as far as that kind of scheduling and so forth. And we give them a lot of clinical operations support, obviously. And since we're, since we have our own platform, we can, we have a lot of metrics we can look at, you know, to optimize around yeah. their, the physician experience. So just how big is your company? I mean, how many patients do you visit? I'm sure you know the numbers. So like how many visits do you do in a year? How many does, uh, you know, a person do on an average shift of let's say, or how many people, I guess, does a physician do on average in an hour? Well, the way we describe it, um, some stuff we share publicly, some stuff we don't, but what I would say is the technology obviously allows physicians to address a larger population, right? Just that's, that's one of the aspects. And so we're endeavoring to, to allow physicians the opportunity to um, lives of maybe now or at 20, 30 X, but hundred, 500 X, the number of lives that they can touch through the, through the appropriate use of technology and the delivery of primary care. So that's how we tend to look at it. Like how, what's the equivalent panel size that one of our physicians could support. Um, Cause that's a number that's talked about in brick and mortar primary care a lot. Right. And so we're already right, yeah, accelerating uh, accelerating way beyond what a brick and mortar physician could support. And I mean, obviously you're in 50 states. I mean, what do you see as if the next five to 10 years of your company? I mean, I'm sure you have some sort of plan for expansion or penetration market share. I think that um, <clears throat> truly it's around that North Star, which is what we, that we believe no one in the world should have to make a financial trade-off to get primary care. We believe it's a, it's a global mission. We're started, you know, we started in the United States, but we, we certainly will not stop there. Um, the great thing about software and investing and building software that assists in the delivery of care will actually be the key to allowing us to achieve that goal. Um, it's a global mission. Everyone in the company is really passionate about that North Star. That's why they're there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of other options for a software engineer in Seattle, frankly, to, you know, that they could go. <laughs> sure. And uh, so everyone is very mission driven, which I love. Um, wants to make an impact. Um, you know, our population health vertical is growing fast. Um, how can we uh, address healthcare inequities? How can we address populations that don't have access even within the U S but ultimately abroad. Um, and so that's part of our mission. It's, uh, it, it's, a, you know, even just building technology that interacts appropriately with the health system, healthcare system, in the United States takes time. Um, our sort of vision, my, my perspective as well, personally, is that, where technologies that traditionally failed in the past is when it was built sort of outside the ecosystem. I mean, the GDP of healthcare in the U.S. is way too large to imagine you could build something that sort of lives outside that in a vacuum and it'll actually be successful. So we have to like build it within the ecosystem that exists already and then show the value 
to plans, to systems, to patients, to the physicians. Um, and then we can sort of expand beyond that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, a good message because I, th- you know, I, when I started the show, I didn't anticipate meeting so many people who were uh, entrepreneurial and finding ways within the actual current system to show that there are other ways of doing things, but you have to be, you're confined to the world that we live in. You can't sort of, you know, napalm the entire healthcare system and start from scratch because you have to deal with what you have as it is. And, and you're utilizing technology and I think pretty cool ways. And I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. At, you know, I always, I always wonder too, for, um, for this sort of process that you're confined to people who are physicians who are Americans, you know, you, you absolutely don't have to, right? With this process, you could have people, other parts of the world, uh, deliver care as well. And I'm, I imagine that from a car company standpoint, you have to decide what your criteria are for hiring and, you know, for providing care. But those are definitely, I'm sure decisions you guys think about too at times. Yeah. I mean, every, what I've learned to appreciate is that almost every country is its own ecosystem that you have to go. If you're doing anything beyond just doing FaceTime where you're just providing a FaceTime technology platform, a video platform, you have to understand those markets, right? Every market's different. Um, and, uh, what is successful to deploy in the United States may, may be a bit different somewhere else. So um, thoughtful expansion, again, around providing cost quality access in that environment is going to be key. Yeah. Well, Dr. Younger, thank you so much for being on the Paradox. And uh, if people want to follow your stuff, do they just kind of, do you have a Twitter, social media presence, or are you pretty much just to check out your company website? What's the best way to follow yeah, I mean, I think 90.6 is, uh, puts a lot of uh, information on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, I usually drive through that as far as the work um, uh, that we're posting about. Um, uh, and then um, certainly can come to the website to see some of the work we're doing and some of the most recent articles that we're talking about. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.